0: What is water? It's the connecting force of life, the bloodline of life, of which we are all part of, and that doesn't die. It is always in one of its stages, and is the non judging observer. And I think we're very fortunate to be able to see these things and feel these things as deep truths because the biggest truths are very simple. They're often staring us in the face.
1: The ray Podcast. This is Jacqueline Norton. Today we are diving into the mysteries of water. This is something that, water is something that we interact with every day in our lives and yet the deeper, Meaning of water, the spiritual essence of water is something that we still know very little about, and the consciousness and the living life force that exists within water and connects us to all things everywhere at all times. And so, today on the podcast is Veda Austin. She is a water researcher and she studies water in its crystallographic state. So, this is state of creation, it's a space between being liquid and ice. So she's discovered when water begins to freeze, but before it's completely frozen, it's able to reveal imagery that's very relative to its last influence. So this tells us a lot about water as a mirror, as a living consciousness, and what it is here to show us about life about whatever terms we are or energies we are interacting with water and so this conversation dives into so many different realms it merges some of the practical and the mystical so she gives different ways to charge water using different materials and for healing and for doing her experiments with water in the crystallographic state how to do that and then also diving into the mystical esoteric ideas of the spiritual essence of water and what deeper mysteries and universal truths it's revealing to us. And the crazy thing about this is the morning after recording this podcast I was getting in the car and it was early and it was it had rained all night and the car was frozen but it was starting to thaw out when I got in it and I got in and I look up at the windshield and the patterns that were forming on the windshield were the patterns that she had described about how when rainwater falls it takes a shape of sort of like long pieces of grass and that was exactly the shape that was forming on the windshield and so it just affirmed to me how we're constantly in relationship with water and the different water that we're interacting with has a different structure and shape to it and so maybe this conversation will help you to come into a deeper relationship with water or notice the ways that. you're interacting with it and just come into deeper awareness and appreciation for this living life force that is all around us and what it has to teach us about the unknown and how it can help make the unknown known. So, if you want to connect with Vida, you can check out her Instagram. She's at Veda Austin Water, V E D A A U S T I N, and her website is www.vedaaustin.com. And if you want to connect with me, I'm on Instagram at Jacqueline Norton, J A C L Y N N O R T O N, or at myrubyray.com thank you for being here and here is veda veda austin welcome to ruby ray hey
0: thank you for having me
1: thank you for being here i'm super excited to have this conversation with you so i originally found your work through pam gregory an astrologer who was talking about um different discoveries that could be coming up under the water this year and how that's sort of aligned with the astrology of this year and then finding your work and you are just so immersed in the water mysteries which is one thing that you said that water is the rebel element and why do you why do you feel this way well
0: it's just through the many many years of observation Water essentially doesn't conform to the laws of physics or gravity because it expands when it cools and it climbs up trees. It has over 60 anomalous properties. It doesn't really make sense. Science doesn't really know where water even came from, how it seeded the earth, whether it came from asteroids or meteorites or whether it came from the Uh, within the Earth's mantle held within the ringwoodite crystals that broke and came up through various different tectonic plates moving moving and things like that, or whether it's a mix of both. You know, there are so many things about water that we don't understand and that don't make sense And when you consider that by molecular count, not by volume, we're 99% water and we can't live without water. And our eye lens is 99% water, which means we literally see everything through the lens of water. But we consider ourselves to be so solid because when we look in the mirror with our fourth phase water eyes, we see this meat suit, which leaks the moment we cut it. It leaks when we cry, it leaks when we sweat, it leaks when we go to the bathroom, it leaks in many other different ways, and we are conceived through fluids, and yet, we just haven't quite put that into perspective yet.
1: Right, because we're still seeing the material world and the density of things, but then it's like beyond the density is the water.
0: Well, it's really interesting to me because the way in which we experience the world is through our senses. I think there's two different types of worlds, two worlds: the one we live on and the one we live in. And the mm-hmm. one we live in is very, very relevant to us because it's the way we experience the external world. So if you consider that when we taste something, we're not tasting the thing outside of us; we're tasting it because the sense is coming into our, inside of us. We hear through this me- mechanism of the ear. We see we actually our brain sees not our eyes the information sent through the eyes and understood through the brain projected it's very interesting and even the way we touch we touch what are we touching if i'm touching this pen for example that i'm holding up the feeling is through my hand and i'm seeing through my eyes which is actually bringing information into this body so literally, if you think about the way we sense things, we are sensing everything about the external world inwardly. So, what do we ever experience outside of this physical body? And that—that has—I've kind of gone from zero to hero about this work. But I think that water in its more spiritual aspect is the observer or the witness. It can, and we can observe ourselves. We can—we can get into that later if you like. But that kind of comes into. Some of the areas of when I have interviewed people that have had near-death experiences and how they have said that they feel this sense of rising, which is what a gas does, remembering that water is not just a liquid. It's a liquid, solid gas and a type of gel or plasma known as the fourth phase of water. And because bringing it all the way back to how little we actually know about water, many people don't realize there's about 300 different types of ice And there are subtleties in each different type of ice. And we know so, so little about this incredibly anomalous property of of water, this life force energy, that for us to really say that we know have all the answers about water and life, I I think there's so much more to learn. And I think it answers many, many of the very big mysteries of life. And so I, I think that water can be rebellious. Yes, it's, a, it's yeah. a little bit of a fun thing of way of saying it. And to, I guess, to add to that, I think that water is wild. Mm-hmm. But I also think that water kind of chooses where to go and what it wants to do. And that might seem crazy to anyone that thinks that water is just something that we drink and that, that you know, that we bathe in that takes away our waste and all these kinds of things. But Hopefully, as we progress through this podcast, we might be able to kind of set some groundwork for why I might say that.
1: All right, beautiful. Well, let's lay the groundwork by going into these mysteries of Watermore and especially the mysteries as they relate to ancient cultures and civilizations. And I really feel like the collective has like there's been this resurgence of interest and curiosity in this recently and especially just as recent as this year 2023 alone in the return of the mermaids and the people. and so i would love to know your thoughts on people and what you think their origins are and yeah if you have any experiences on that
0: well i could say a great deal on that um <laughs> So there's, there's many areas to kind of talk about and, and you've kind of launched me straight into something that I don't normally share, but I've so slowly, slowly been bringing out over the last few years here and there. And I, I love that you were introduced to me by, by Pam Gregory because it seems that so many people watch her and have reached out to me because of her. So I have a, a, you know very grateful to the work she does and the work she's sharing of mine. To answer about mermaids, and and actually one of the things she she interviewed somebody just the other day who was talking about the word mer, and it's interesting. Mm -hmm. We understand the word mer in relation to the ocean, but Mm -hmm. there's also the word Merkabah, which is quite interesting because it is kind of what might be talked about as the energetic spacecraft of the human body. So kind of just putting that on the shelf a little bit, it's nice to just kind of think about these things. I like to piece things together and go. Well, I wonder how that is very relevant right now. As far as mer people go, there was a year, uh, and in my last in my last masterclass, I called it the year I thought I was going crazy. And this was quite some years ago, and I literally was concerned about myself because I started writing about things that I had had no prior knowledge of, and it wasn't that I was hearing voices in my head but I was just writing down all this information and there was an experience that I had had just prior to that happening, which was rather unusual where I had basically collapsed. It felt like my throat was swelling up and I couldn't feel my legs. I managed to push redial because I'd already rung the uh, doctor to make an appointment because it felt like um, I had an ear infection. I had felt off balance. And so I put, managed to push redial and the ambulance came and got me and went to hospital. They did all kinds of tests on me because prior to that, years prior to that, I'd, I'd been in a bad car accident and on one of the surgeries I'd had blood clots. So they were concerned that I was having a stroke, but I wasn't. And they said, well, we think you're having a weird type of migraine. Take these anti-inflammatories and you know, come back if there's any problems, so the next day I went back because I was stuttering and feeling really strange. So I had more tests and this time they did the same chest x-ray five times. And I and I said, why do we keep doing the same thing? What is going on here? Because I had so much medical history, they had the x-rays of my chest from the car accident I was in and, and they said, well, we don't understand what's happening because not only is your heart enlarged, it is like a different size completely, it's like someone put a man's heart into your body, your heart is a different size than it should be, and it wasn't just enlarged by stress, it was, it was rather strange, strange anomaly and phenomenon, and they could not understand it, and I had this overwhelming sense of I needed to get out of there, and that I was okay, it was a huge thing for me, because I, it's a big deal just to discharge yourself when somebody's telling you that there's something going on like that, and everything in me was screaming to get out of the hospital, and I did. I left. I got someone to come pick me up, and I never had a single problem happen like that again. I I never collapsed again. I didn't stutter anymore. Everything was normal for me, except for the fact that I, I started to see color around living things, and I also started to see, to write about things I'd had no prior knowledge of. Now, one of those things that I wrote about, was about mer people. One of the stories that I had that I think is very interesting because it relates to Atlantis. Again, I'm going to just say that I started to write about things. Then that I was like, oh my god, what is going on here? It was like I was writing about platonic solids. I was writing about things. That the uses of different pyramids and how uh, how salt water can catch fire and actually have this kind of lightning fire on top of it within a pyramid and it's a energy source and and that and that it, it's ignited by uh, certain frequencies and things and so I started to Google you know I got Googleitis I started to Google everything that I was writing about. And it was like science has just proven this or this ancient story or this ancient finding relates to this. And when I was looking for this fire on salt water thing, I found a man who had uh, was looking for a cure for cancer and used a microwave frequency into salt water. It created this lightning-like fire that I was talking about. And then I'm like, well, maybe I'm not so, so crazy. So just to put that into some context, so I, um, I talked about the rise and fall of Atlantis, and in the writings, I talked about a scientist, so there was, Atlantis was around for a long time, according to what I was writing, and it it kind of started in a frequency of, which was very light, and very pious, if you will, if you want to use that term, and so uh, over the course of time, there was an an ego that was birthed, and there's a great big story with that, which we can get into it maybe another time, because that will add a long time to this conversation and so it became quite evident that there was a new type of being that had been birthed uh, during this period and these these people interbred with the Atlanteans and there was this kind of fall of Atlantis as such because of this this egotistical frequency that came the sense of a power started to to appear not empowered (laughs) like it was before. There were scientists even back then, and there was a scientist by the name of Efferty. And Efferty was very, very interested to try to help the people. He made this kind of compass thing, which was able to basically test for the frequency of these people and to see where they were at. And he made an interesting observation that when people would go into the ocean for 10 minutes or 15 minutes, half an hour or so, and come back out, this frequency, for lack of a better word, this ego frequency would disappear for about 10 minutes. And so he started trying to find different ways, like these salt rubs, to to, to see if that would help, and measuring these these things. And because he was so well-loved and well-revered, over the course of this time, by this time, things had got pretty bad. And there was a kind of king who was evil, really, and was was trying to dominate the whole area, this particular area anyway. What happened was that these Atlanteans that were very pure in many ways, and still were, were really doing everything they could to get away, to get out of the situation. Efforty was saying, well, the ocean seems to create this frequency where you, you you can maintain it. So they started going more and more in the ocean, to get more and more into the ocean. And over some time, there was an adaptation which was a much easier for them to do than us to do because they were in a very different time state and body type and the atmosphere and everything was, was, was very different. And so they began to really spend all their time in the ocean. And by that stage, this evil king knew and saw what was happening and he didn't want that to happen. So he sent people out to kill them and find them and kill them in the oceans. He actually got a lot of them to come back and bring them back, and he wanted their, their children. He knew that any pregnant woman would do what, what he wanted them to, so he was would only feed these beings human meat, and many of them died because they refused. But the women that were pregnant didn't want to kill their babies, basically. There were very few that actually survived, and then the next generation was born to hunt the others that were out in the ocean. This then starts this concept of the sirens, which were, you know, known to be these beautiful women that called men in, and then they would actually eat them. Um, it always seems strange. It's like, how come some mermaids seem so lovely and some seem so cruel? And it seems so strange that they would be sitting there so beautiful and everything, and then just eat people. <laughs> Where does that come from? So from this story, it kind of made sense that there were these two types that emerged that resonated for me because I had had uh, an experience where I drowned when I was nearly 14 and my, my friend and I we used to ride horses a lot and her dad had taken us out riding so he was taking the horses back and we ran over the dunes down onto the beach and kind of just went to go and just splash around play in the water but I hadn't really done that very much at that beach and it it got deep really quickly and then all of a sudden I realized that I was in very deep water and it wasn't that I couldn't swim I was a good swimmer but I felt something around my ankle and like I was trying to shake it free and it was literally pulling me down and that was all I could remember until I was resuscitated and kind of came around and I was taken to hospital. The strange part of that was that my body had been missing for nearly three hours. And so people didn't know what had happened to me. And everybody was asking me, like, like did you, did you, you know, find somewhere to stay, like they thought maybe I'd swum to an area, it was quite rocky coastline, where I'd just been clinging to a rock or something and then tried to make it and then more recently drowned, or else like, oh, they wouldn't have been able to resuscitate me. That seemed like the most logical thing that could have happened. But I couldn't tell anybody, I just I was had complete amnesia. And a strange thing had happened where a few hundred meters up the beach from where they found me, there were two dolphins that were washed up dead. And when my mum told me about that in the hospital, I was mortified. That upset me way more than hearing about the fact that I couldn't remember anything about what had happened to me and the fact that I'd drowned. And I don't think I spoke for nearly a a week, 10 days. I I didn't Mm. speak. I found it very, very traumatising. It was very difficult for me to even put my feet in the ocean for a long time after that. A few Years ago, a friend, I I finally kind of confided in about what had happened because I never talked about it. You know, there are people that have known me a long time that I, that, that, you know, only just finding out about all of this because I just kept it very much to myself. So I did a regression, like I did Mm -hmm. some hypnotherapy to try to remember what had happened and it was quite interesting because even after the the hypnotherapy session and the therapist was like and now you're going to remember you're going to feel calm and all these things my mind shut down again it didn't it was trying to not let me remember but it had been an audio had been recorded. And so when I listened to that back, I could feel in my body all the truths. It was like very strange to hear myself talk about something that seems so rather extraordinary. And I call it a near-death experience, but in many ways it feels like a real experience. But what I said was that I was pulled down and that I came face to face with a being who felt like my brother, like a brother, like a family member. And I could see his face, even though it was very difficult to see in the seawater, because he had a bioluminescence around his face. I could understand him through his thinking, but I could also see on his facial expression that he could not understand why I was drowning. he was looking at me, very concerned, because I was drowning, you know, I was, I was in panic. Although I didn't feel scared of him, there was some sense of, like, uh, remembrance with him. But when he realized what was happening, there were two more behind me, I talked about, that held my body, and somehow he was able to bring out my spirit of kinds, or soul, or subtle body, I think it was more, more like a subtle body, and I was... Um, Felt myself go through this vortex and the vortex was so incredibly fast it was the fastest thing I can't even explain how fast it was but the weirdest part about it was that it was silent it was the most quiet silent thing there was no sound and I was moving so fast that there was no movement feeling or wind or or sound but I could I could feel my body or my subtle body going in this in this such lightning-like movement and it it came out and in the subtle realm the subtle body because it still felt like I had a body I wasn't in the physical one and I kind of (laughs) said that I I kind of popped up onto the surface of another ocean and all the while the the therapist is asking, asking me questions and saying where are you like where all of this kind of thing what date is it and I'm answering and she asked where I am and I said I'm in the Hudson Valley and back then I I had no experience of America so I I'm like she said where 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 is the Hudson Valley and I'm like it's just off New York and I'm and (laughs) very clearly stating all of this stuff she said well what are you seeing and I'm like just sort of on the surface of this water and I'm looking up and I see this circle of lights and there's this plasma in between them and it feels like this pulling like this energetic pulling it's almost like my body could be pulled up and that's the same kind of feeling I had going into the vortex this pulling this sense of pulling and I again I you know, I talk about this now, and it, it sounds like quite frightening, really, because the being I saw when I tried to draw him to share on the last masterclass, I'm like, gosh, he looks really scary. <laughs> but, but actually, I, I never saw the below part. So I couldn't say if I saw legs or a tail or any of those things. I just really remember the upper part. And again, you know, the physical the physicality of it is that I was a young girl drowning so and i and i feel like oh wow well, this is lovely i'm going to go up into this thing that's like this giant sort of weird spaceship thing which sounds crazy right but it was the the what i was saying in this in this thing then i and then it became very evident that i wasn't alone and that it wasn't very safe and i ended up being really quite drastically pulled back down into this vortex and there were three dolphins that accompanied me and two of them stayed back And one of them came through. So whether they didn't make it through that vortex and then their bodies were the ones that were washed up, um, I don't know. But that's the extraordinary tale that I told. And so what does that mean? Well, I don't know. I mean, it could have been some kind of near-death experience. It could have been some kind of reality. Who knows? And I really didn't like talking about it. And it's been a big deal for me to start talking about it because... People can often go, well, that's just a crazy fantastical tale, and you have a very vivid imagination. (laughs) (laughs) And so I kind of leave it as, well, this is what I said, and Mm -hmm. when I feel into it, it feels very real. And at the same time, I genuinely don't know, and that's okay. What it has done, though, is give me a real full appreciation for what we don't know. You you started out with asking me about why I think what is the rebel element and I kind of went into all these anomalous properties about water that are recorded and I think that it's important for us to think about that. It's like well, even down to what's in the water. We barely know what's in the oceans, what's held down there. When my interview I did with with Dave Rossi, he's got a podcast called Generation Z, and he talks a lot about quantum physics and propulsion and craft and uh, extraterrestrials and things like that. And he's like, there's more activity in the oceans, in his opinion, than in the skies. And I know that Pam talked about, Graham Gregory talked about the potential of new things being discovered that coming out of the oceans this year and when I did hear that because so literally hundreds of people sent me the link to her her talk and uh, I got goosebumps when she said that and when I get that I is usually an indicator there's some truth in that but I also think there is a lot of lot more to discover around Antarctica and areas like that, of which I also wrote about. So these were the topics that I went into some detail about and asked water about, which I shared in my last master class. And it's been quite helpful because for anyone that doesn't know what I do, I don't know if we even really mentioned that. There's always people that don't have a clue what I do or who I am or what why what kind of standing I have to talk about water. And I think it's nice that people get some idea of what I do outside of, you know, all of these experiences that I've had. Uh, i'm very I'm a water researcher. I, I study water in its crystallographic state that I call the state of creation, the space between liquid and ice. And I have discovered that as water begins to freeze but before it's completely frozen, it is able to reveal imagery very relative to its last influence. My very first experience of this, although I hadn't learned my technique then, going back 10 years now, was when I had heard of various different people talking about water and water having memory. And Many people have heard of this and many people have heard and seen Emoto's work. Masaru Emoto was a Japanese person who really enabled people to, to have a visual experience of how water is very responsive and sensitive to thoughts and words and environment. He was not embraced by the scientific community because he openly shared that he cherry-picked the photos to basically show what he was trying to represent. But nonetheless, you know, by doing so, he really opened the door for people to see themselves as sensitive bodies of water. His work was extremely contrasting. And over the years, I think that when working with children, that can sometimes bring up issues even if they're very subtle and I I kind of like to talk on that but he would show the crystallographic imprint through the microscope of water exposed to the word love and water exposed to the word hate that's what I mean about the extremes there would be heavy metal and then there would be classical music now what I mean about the children is that when my son saw Emoto's work he came to me and he said mum I really think water hates me I'm like why why do you think that and, and he said, well, you know, I don't like listening to classical music because he just assumed that water only liked classical music. <laughs> he said, and he said, and I don't really listen to heavy metal, but I like rap. And there's swear words in rap, and I don't think water likes that, and therefore <laughs> I water hates me. And if we put ourselves into the mindset of a child, and if we're given two very big extremes, and if we don't resonate with either one, we tend to think the worst. Which is important to realize if we can't actually relate to anything, it's easy to kind of head towards the worst outcome, which is exactly what my son had done. And I think that there's, there's a great deal of importance in showing the various sort of in-betweens, honestly as well. And so I said to him, well, I suspect the person that did that study probably didn't really like heavy metal. I, I went on this journey to to use all different kinds of musical influences with different genres and things to show him exactly uh, the point that that water isn't in judgment. Hmm. Water is the observer. And, and I'll get to that part so I saw Emoto's work and then I saw the work of a friend of mine now he's he's become a friend of mine by the name of Laurent Costa he wrote a book called Journey into the Heart of Water he's a French microscopic photographer and he takes photos in a similar method by flash freezing water after some inspiring influence but what's also interesting about Laurent is that he doesn't always use an inspiring influence he doesn't mm-hmm. experiment on water and, and I really do relate to him because I've seen water respond, not just react. And I give water the same respect as if I was working with anyone, anyone. You know, we're working with a life force energy here. And if it's responding, why would I ever want to experiment on it, given that this has become now a relationship? And mm-hmm. so, well, water was a spiritual teacher. And he really wanted to just inspire water in any way. Well, just you know, invite water to share whatever it wanted, and sometimes he'd smile at the water before flash freezing it, and he was getting little happy faces, hearts, <laughs> in the microscopic photos. And when and, and he also got geometries like a moto. But when I saw the images, when you see these cute little smiley faces, they immediately make you smile. And I worked professionally as an oil painter for many years before I got into the world of water research. And so I see the world artistically. So there's kind of a big difference in the way you respond to geometries and art, and, and like art that looks like imagery, art that... that is sort of depicting our natural world, although of course geometries make up the natural world, to see an artistic expression of a human being, or a face, or a tree, or a dog, or whatever, it's kind of a different experience. And for me, that really was like quite something. And then the third person who inspired me to really begin my work was a a man by the name of uh, Thomas Hieronymus. He was a radionic engineer. And he made a really interesting observation when he went into a Parisian meat market on a very cold morning. He observed that the freshly placed organs of an animal appeared to be affecting the way the frost froze on the glass behind where they were placed. For example, the frost would freeze into the shape of a liver organ above a liver organ. And his hypothesis was there seemed to be some kind of life force energy. So emanating out of these organs, because of the water in the blood. Now the water in the blood held a what is known as a sonic signature or a blueprint of the form and shape of the organ. And it was sharing that information with the water in the air. And because the air was very cold, the moment it hit glass, it took um, it, it went into this formative design, which looked like the organ, which was very interesting to me because he was seeing this with his naked eye. And 10 years ago, I didn't have a microscope. But I did have a petri dish, a glass petri dish, that I had been using for another project I was working on. And I'd already had a healing experience with some spring water. So uh, I thought, well, I'm just going to give it a go. The secret seems to be in the freezing stage where the unseen becomes seen. And I've got a freezer and I've got a petri dish and I've got an imagination and I have some water. (laughs) So I put my spring water into this petri dish And i thought well i'm going to project a thought and as i was thinking about what i was going to think about i noticed that there was a little bit of fluff floating around in the water in the petri dish and i'm like oh my god so i put my hand in to take out the fluff consciously thinking i wonder if my hand will have any impacts on the water's quote unquote memory because i didn't know if that was a real thing at all and i stuck it into the in the freezer And I kind of forgot about it, and I had absolutely zero attachment to any outcome. And a few hours later, I came back, and I held it up to the light. And this was back when I completely froze water, and I did that for a year until I discovered my new technique. And I held it up to the light, and I took my very first photo. And that photo has launched over 30, nearly, actually nearly 40,000 photos of water responding in the most incredible intelligent ways. What I saw that took up half of the ten centimeter diameter petri dish was an image of a hand that was just like an X-ray of my hand. And when I showed my son Rama and I said to him, you know, look at this photo. What does that look like to you? Because I thought, well I need to make sure this is not my imagination. And children are very honest. And he just said like a hand mum it looks like an x-ray or a kind of creepy hand but it looks like a hand it really did and and so then I got some seawater and I froze that and a thin layer of that and I got the most incredible fish with the outline of the fish and the tail and the gills and the and the eye and the fins and then I just couldn't stop you know I I, I, I am so prolific in this work so when I when I learned about the new science of water which And there really is one, especially around Dr. Pollack's work. Dr. Gerald Pollack talks about the fourth phase of water, the exclusion zone water. It's the kind of water that is in our cells, and it has very unique properties. It has a negative charge, which I think is one of its most important things. It is more viscous, it's slightly more alkaline, and it absorbs more light. And you can find that type of water in water outside of the body, and, and you can also discover that kind of water in the freezing stage before water is frozen and in the melting stage. Mm-hmm. So I took that information amongst other amazing people's work, uh, including Dr. Marcel Vogel, which I really recommend people look into because he did a big study on, on the uh, water's responsiveness to crystals. And he also talks about this fourth phase of water. So um, I was like, well, what's happening, you know? as the water's freezing, so I started to open my freezer earlier and earlier and earlier until eventually at about four minutes when my freezer setting was minus 23 degrees Celsius, I noticed there was a liquid on top and ice underneath. And I'm like, oh, that's very interesting what's happening there. So I just took my petri dish out, held it up to the light, and the water naturally drained away, and there was this amazing crystallography that was still stuck onto the glass dish and it was three-dimensional there was light coming through it's a very thin layer but it was incredibly complex and it held all of the imagery that I could have ever hoped for like it was really quite remarkable and that is the technique that I use now and that I teach people and from there now I have this huge body of of incredible images and, and water doesn't just respond to thoughts I've used all different kinds of inspiring influences including asking questions including media like my children have done this work with me and a lot of the pictures I of, of theirs I share where they will my son was sitting watching Batman and he put the petri dish of water beside him on the couch and then he froze it and, and you know the image of Batman is really clear. Uh, My my daughter did the same thing with a unicorn, with the the thought of a unicorn and the unicorn picture is iconic. I use different people's photographs. One of the most well-known pictures of a face that I have is from my friend Wendy's photo and she has very clear and defined features And I put the Petri dish of water on top of her photo for 30 seconds, removed it, used my technique and photographed it. And you can clearly see her features and her face in the ice. And then I went on to do something about facial recognition to see if it can actually, if it was a coincidence, was it just somehow looked like Wendy? And now people have sent me in photos of Sadhguru and like different people, and I'm able to show it's picking up different features in their faces that are relative to them. And and it's really quite undeniable when you see the work. And as I've progressed on and taught people how to do it, now I share a lot of other people's work, because I think it's extremely important that people see that water can do this. But there are three ways that water communicates, which is extremely important to know, especially for people that think, oh, I want to try that, you know. I take all my photos on my iPhone, which makes it super easy for people as well. But there is three ways. So the first way is uh, what I call signature patterns. So because I've been studying water for so long and become very much the observer and I, I try to get out of my own way with this work, is that if you look at different types of water, they'll have their own sort of signature pattern. So tap water is very disordered. Spring water looks like a kind of starry hexagon. Rain water looks like a fanning curved pattern. Filtered water looks like lines compressed together. And you okay, that's interesting. That It's showing me there's a pattern here. Mm-hmm. But if you don't know what a signature pattern looks like and it, and then you do something to inspire the water, you're not going to know if it's changed. You're not going to know how significant what you've done is if you haven't got to know the water first. And this is a wonderful way to start your relationship with water because water is really at a high frequency. So what's interesting is if it doesn't form complex imagery when the feeling of frustration and anger is projected into it. It won't play with you. It's not judging you, but it won't play with you. It won't work. It actually thickens slightly. So what's interesting about my new technique is that it's only about three millimeters thick. It's a very, very thin layer of ice. But that the anger or the the frustration or jealousy and these kinds of things, what's interesting is that it's as if the ice has become denser and darker. And it, and it just doesn't give that, that, that kind of... Um, those designs that you would normally see, so it's not judging you, but it just don't doesn't play in that frequency. It just doesn't. So I've found that to be extraordinarily interesting. So when you know that signature pattern of tap water, and a lot of people give tap water the worst rap in the world, and I feel <laughs> tap water because it's not tap water's fault. And at the same time, I'm not talking about drinking tap water or any of the waters to drink. What I'm saying is that tap water has taught me something very very valuable because I've spent so long getting to know it's normal it, and I'm talking municipal tap water not tap water that comes out of people's tanks like we have rainwater um, fed up into our tap so municipal tap water tends to have these very disordered patterns but it's incredibly responsive to human consciousness which will shock some people because people are very much in in the mindset that, well, how could, it, how could it even understand anything because surely it's just polluted with these heavy metals and toxins and whatnot, and it's dead water. We hear that, we hear that people say that. Water doesn't actually die. It's always in one of its stages. It will eventually evaporate. So for the people mm-hmm. that say that polluted water is dead, that's not exactly a truth. So when you take that tap water and then you let that tap water melt, after you've done the crystallography, and then I share this quite often, I'm just writing my new book and I'm sharing the pictures in this, when you take that same tap water and you hold it to your heart, and in, a, in a calm seated position for a, for a minute, and then you refreeze it, the same water, what happens is that it goes from a disordered pattern to looking like um, you see, start to see leaves form in the in crystallography. You start to see little flowers form in the crystallography. You see a change. That change is structural. It's not chemical. So what does that mean? What that means is like a massive deal. What we're seeing is something very, very akin to human emotions. What we're seeing is water improving its structures in a visual thank you, in a visual mm. sense of gratitude. And this is very interesting because because it's not changing chemically. What I think we're really seeing is an emotional response. And why is that important? Well, I think it's important because in Maori, my dad is a New Zealand native Maori, and there is a word called Mori and I it's, it's spelled slightly differently. And it has the meaning of life force energy, Mm. of of this kind of life force. And the life force energy is very important to indigenous cultures because it's kind of the, is the water happy or is the water sad? And so also we need to, to then look at how are we looking at water, especially like how are we looking at tap water? If we were to look at tap water, one of the common things we might do if we were a little bit scientific would be to see what's in the water. We would look at an analysis and we'd say, okay, there's this bromide, there's this sulfides, there's this TDS, there's this and this and this and this. And This this is the water, but actually that's what water holds. We're seeing, we're listing everything that the water holds, but what do we know about the water itself? Mm -hmm. What is this life force energy? And that, I think, is actually what we're seeing. I think we're seeing the energy of water personified, and that is the gift that tap water has given me to be able to see that it's structurally disordered. And in a group thing which I've done where there have been 60 or so people from around the world send their intention and love to the tap water and that that I have let melt. So I already took a photo of it. I know what it looks like. I've let it melt, left it out, and people all around the world sent love to it. And then I photographed it, did the crystallography and photographed it. It is undeniably some of the most beautiful crystallography I've ever seen. Mm. Not only does it look like spring water that came straight out of a spring, but there is a silvery light to it. It's extraordinary. And I think that this is one of the things that's so powerful about the work is that We can see the effects that our energy work has Mm -hmm. had. We can see the response. But we can't do it, and it won't work if we expect anything from it. Again, this is water teaching us how to treat it, which is one of the things I think that all of us get to learn as we grow up. You know, it's kind of like, well, if you keep saying yes to doing all the things you don't really want to do, then you're going to be doing everything for everybody else and never anything much for you. And, and that can get very exhausting and you don't get to put some boundaries as, as to how people can treat you. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's important that we learn to understand some of these things. And water certainly does that. Water is, is, for me, just like Laurent Costa, a spiritual teacher in the sense that if I go, if I make an approach into doing this work, assuming that I know what water's going to do, mm. assuming anything, you know, with this kind of idea, well, it's done this before, I'm sure it'll do it again, kind of like, oh, well, you know, yeah, I know, Well, water's definitely going to do this this time, and I'll ask it to do something and I'll think, well, I'll just, today I'm going to get it to give me, a, I'm holding some glasses up and I'll say, I'm going to put the glasses on the petri dish and it's going to show me the glasses. That kind of attitude will never work. Wood won't play with me if I'm in that kind of way or sometimes it will just prove me wrong. It'll do <laughs> something completely different. And so the best approach with this work, which is why I encourage people to sort of learn about signature patterns first, because that helps you get your expectations out of the way and then you kind of get to go into a mode of curiosity and fun. Mm-hmm. That's that's where it works. Gets you back to that childlike and you know curiosity. Water literally is teaching us how to treat it, but at the same time, it's teaching us how to have more fun with ourselves and to see that there is so much more here. And and I think that so much more is. Is something extraordinary which I'm getting a lot more scientific recognition for, particularly within the quantum field, where I was the keynote speaker, the last speaker of the of the whole event of the water conference last year in Germany that was hosted by Dr. Gerald Pollack. It's for scientists, physicists, biologists, and clearly I'm French, <laughs> <laughs> clearly, and and yet. Uh, one of the things that Jerry Pollock has said about my work years ago, and he's been a mentor of mine now for quite some time, guiding me in to, to, to do this work as scientifically as I can. Firstly, you can't deny over 30,000 photos, the sheer body of the work. Everybody that does this work will see a signature pattern, an artistic expression, or something that I call hydroglyphs. And the hydroglyphs are what I'm getting more scientific kind of appreciation for and and, then of course because it lends itself into repeatability Mm. so the science world tends to really favor things that are repeatable Mm. and this is a very curious thing because it's almost like what I've just said water doesn't like to be told what to do so without telling it what to do as the relationship deepens and and of which it has with me over all these years. There is this interesting thing that's happened where when I told you that my son was very worried about water-hating him, and I and I did all these different tests on different music genres, I observed that water really likes to pick up on words of songs and design something relative to the word. And that was very interesting to me. And so I did multiple repeat studies on uh, different songs where I saw something very interesting with a word representation. So when I used the song Stairway to Heaven, I saw the stairway like, appear in the ice, which was very clear. And I'm like, after seeing it appear 12 times over the course of some weeks or months even, using the same song, I'm like, I wonder if that means stairway. I wonder if that's a symbol. That means stairway because I keep seeing it, so I wanted to see if if this meant stairway. So I, I wrote the word stairway on a piece of paper. I put my petri dish on top of the word. Now it, it's important that we understand that water doesn't read words; it absorbs the energy of words and crystallizes into the form or shape of the energy of that word. So a quick example of that was would be if I was to say, "Here are my glasses." we would go, okay, <laughs> that's not very exciting, but okay. But if I would say, here is the energy of my glasses, we would approach that in a different way. Water is teaching us to approach this in a different way. Mm-hmm. So when I used the word and I froze it, again, I saw the stairway appear again. And I'm like, I wonder if it'll do it again. And again, staying in curiosity, not an assumption. So anyway, so I was like, Okay, well, I, th- I think that means stairway. And so I thought, well, will it do it again? And then I did it again, and I saw the symbol again. And then I just kept doing it. And it, it wasn't that I assumed it would do it, but it was just like, wonder if it'll do it again. And then I started to wonder what, what it was showing me. After 50 times of doing it and seeing the symbol... Over a period of time, so I didn't do it one after the other after the other, because then it could be like, well, maybe there's still some formative information in the petri dish and it's just repeating it. This was over a course of, you know, months. and mm-hmm. it, it takes me a long time to, to say I had to have one hydroglyph, to say I have one, I need to have seen the same image appear at least 50 times using the same word influence. But once I'd kind of got to that stage of 50, I was like, well, what else could that mean? The stairway, like, why would I see that? So then I read the, wrote the words "climb up" because I thought they were relevant to, to this to the song "Stairway to Heaven." And so, when I wrote the words "climb up," I got the stairway glyph. And then I realized, oh, and I did that fifty times, and I realized there is layers of meaning to these symbols. Now I have nearly forty of these hydroglyphs that I call them. Each one has layers of meaning. It's taken me five years to get that many. And it's very time consuming. But when you see, which I shared at the water conference, 64 examples of each one, and you see that they are recognizable and and that people all around the world, I have a small team working with me, we all see hydroglyphs. They help me find the layers of meaning. So for example, if you were to help me find the layer of meaning for the word creation, you might use another word and see the creation glyph appear. And then you let me know. And then we we try using that word and see if it's repeatable. Mm. So, uh, and, and that's how people help me. Well, they do it themselves. And from that, we've discovered a language, a, a 3D emotional language. And that is very, very interesting. And I'm actually in the process of working with a quantum physicist to explain how this is working. So it goes from, and, and I really appreciate what Dr. Jerry Pollack said to me. He said, you know, in in sort of like a, a write up about my work, he he said, well, what Vita presents is extraordinary. It is now up to us as scientists to prove how this is working. Mm-hmm. And I think that what he what he's saying is correct. Is that I'm presenting the work, and I have my own hypotheses, my own thoughts and ideas around it. But it's really up to the science world and up to other people too, I think, to to, to give this a try, mm-hmm. to, to do it for themselves, to see where it leads them and what what conclusion, conclusions they come up with. But I think it's important not to throw – I hate the term – not to throw the baby out with the bathwater just because it might seem a little bit extraordinary. If, if it's way too outside of people's comfort zones, when you see the pictures – you really understand the enthusiasm. Pictures speak a thousand words and water has a lot to say. So when you, when you see the pictures and you go, oh, well, I, okay, that is uncanny. But on a scientific level, it just feels too much. I always suggest to people, please, please, can you just see it as art? See this as organic art. And then you get to ask the question, what does this mean to me? And, and I think that, that that's the beauty of art. I take a three-fold ap- approach to this work, the science, the art, and the spirituality, consciousness, or or intuition, if you will. When all three overlay, then you have something that is a real, real truth, I believe, personally. Mm.
1: Wow. I love this. And it, remind, it makes me think just about, you mentioned something at the beginning about empower, or empower, and I don't even remember the context that you were saying it in, but I'm thinking about it now. And when you're talking about the tap water and holding it to your heart and changing the energy, it's almost like changing that whole narrative around, Oh, tap water's bad. It's something to be feared. And then it's putting us in that adversarial kind of relationship with water versus bringing the power back to ourselves and our own ability to like be in relationship with the water in our own way. And the power that we do have to change the molecular structure or expression through our own intention and that feels so much more empowering you know to think about water and tap water not in this like victim sense but in this sense of wait I have these living emotions running through me that I can use to serve this water which then serves me and everyone around me in return
0: I really love what you just said like these living emotions because i think that's what water is
1: Mm. it's
0: kind of the living emotions of life and and we have living emotions within us and we have full of water you know like not by volume but by by molecular count we're 99 percent water like i mentioned earlier you know there are more water molecules in our bodies than stars in the milky way trillions and trillions of water molecules all reflective, like liquid antennas, and and I think that they exp- there is there is a a very important <laughs> you really hit the nail on the head because one of the things I see so much is the the differences between things rather than the, the things that are the same the things that connect us there is so much. Fear mongering going on in the world, and even now we can't even, you know, the water isn't safe. And I and I appreciate it to the degree that I'm not talking about drinking the tap water, but so often, but but filtered tap. Water, I mean, we gotta drink what we have. It's a first world problem here. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not wondering like where is the water. We're wondering mm-hmm. what kind of water to drink. I mean, we're very fortunate. We don't have the same appreciation for the water as someone who has to walk for miles in Africa and in India to actually get it, and even then wonder if it's going, if it's safe for them. But they know that they can't live without it. Their appreciation for water far exceeds the, that of the most of the Western world. So I, I do kind of need to add that in. But I, I do think that there is a it's not so much about what water can do for us such a big part of being human is like well what is this, how is this going to help me what benefit is there for me here and that's a nat- there's a natural thing to ask and people wonder that like even in podcasts well what can I get out of this you know what can I get out of this because we're all, always we're curious you know and we're looking for new information ways to like make our lives better or new ways to, perceive the world to make it that little bit more interesting, more easier to kind of move through. One of the things that tap waters showed me is that um, water has life force energy, much like spirit. So the word in Maori for spirit is wairua. It means two waters, the spiritual and the physical waters. There's a greater, deeper meaning than that, and there's other variations. But to me, as a water crystallographer, that makes so much sense there is the biological fluids that hydrate us that have function and uh, various things that go on in the physical body but also then there is the spiritual water this essence water it is the observer so we can observe ourselves but how do we do that how can we how do we observe ourselves walking around in dreams how can people astral travel how can people remote view How is all of that possible in these more subtle realms, should we say? How is it that people who have a psychedelic experience observe themselves? You know, my son, I I shouldn't really use psychedelic experience and my son in the same breath because (laughs) he he broke his hand over his wrist. Oh, some months ago, skateboarding, we had to take him to hospital. And the doctor told me, well, we're going to give him a drug called ketamine. And he's going to be here, but he's not exactly going to be here. And I'm like, oh my God, okay. Because they needed to really yank his arm hard and he was going to cause him a lot of pain, but they didn't want to put him completely under. And they found it to be very beneficial for children to work with. So within four seconds of him administering this drug, I saw my son Rama. He said, oh, the f- and he didn't finish the word. And all of a sudden, his mouth is open. His eyes are bulging. He's just, like, looking around the room. And immediately, within that, five seconds, like, five seconds later, the nurses are out right in there, yanking his arm to, like, reset the whole bones and everything. And he's just, like, looking around with his mouth open and his eyes bulging. like. And it, it eventually, he kind of comes around, and it took – actually much longer than anticipated and the poor boy that the nurse had actually told him a story before this happened about a man who had had the same kind of break as him who had had the ketamine and had when he came around the nurse had said to my son rama oh you know when he came around but before he was completely normal back back into his normal body um he, he was yelling out his favorite meal he kept saying spaghetti (laughs) <laughs> and and everyone thought that was funny but rama's subconscious had picked that up and so when he came around but before he was completely you know with us the first word he yelled out was spaghetti and then he kept saying it for 40 minutes really loud spaghetti 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 Doesn't oh. even like spaghetti that much so it was like quite interesting to observe that but When I asked him about his experience, he said, oh, my God, it's so hard to explain, Mum." He said, but I was watching them in the corner of the room. He said, I was watching the nurses reset my arm. And and then he kept saying he went through these different wormholes and various things Mm -hmm. he had with his experiences. But he was the observer of his body, and he was still alive. Do you know what I mean? So it's kind of like, how can we be the observers, the observer, while still being alive so do we need to have a spirit in the physical body to be alive it's kind of an interesting one and I think there's lots more to learn and there's a lot of subtleties in that and it appears that it's possible and I think that it's possible because of electrical charge Mm. we have electrical charge which can be measured by heart math Right, and that comes from our organs. It comes from the fact that we're salt water, not distilled water. We salt is a crystal, it has piezoelectricity, it's got an electrical charge. And as it's moving, it's creating more charge. So our water is moving through our body. But even when the heart stops beating, there is still some activity of kinds that can be recognized for about 12 minutes after the heart stops beating in the brain. And I've interviewed a man, or actually I've interviewed three people who all said the same thing, which is really interesting. They said they had the sense of rising, which is what a gas does, which is another aspect of water. They looked down upon the physical body being resuscitated and they said, I hope that person is going to be okay. They had no attachment. They had become the observer, the witness, which is very much in alignment to what I think that water in its more spiritual aspect is. And I think that spiritual aspect is tied up in the the more evaporated or gas or vapor stage. Again, there's a lot to learn about each stage, more than we know now. And so within that area, I think that spiritual water is able to track along the electrical charge of the body. And if there's any, even a weak electrical charge, I think that that is like the silver thread that tethers the spirit or the soul to the physical body. And is able to come back into the body so even if there's movement so dr gerald pollack was actually on my last second to last master class he shared something i found really interesting and said something i was surprised about one of his students did a study and, and i know he struggled with this but he did a study where they they got a, a chick embryo so there's a way in which you can watch uh chicks begin to form and grow after you've cracked the egg, you can, you can kind of watch the process if you're in a certain environment. And so within four or five days, you can see that it's starting to develop. So they stopped the heartbeat at that time. And as this is before it's developed into a chicken. They were checking to see if the exclusion zone water would drop with all the vital signs and things like that. And it did, but not all the way down, not to the lowest place it could have gone. Then they put infrared light because this EZ water, this fourth phase of water that has those different properties that I mentioned, including a lattice-like ordered sort of crystalline structure, that type of water expands with infrared light, which is why infrared saunas are really great, which is why
1: mm-hmm. walking barefoot
0: on the earth with negative charge is really good for you because it's bringing that charge up through the body. So um, they noticed that infrared light, that that, that EZ water in this chick embryo went all the way back up it just jumped and then over an hour it slowly went back down and so he he actually said we may need to rethink when someone's actually dead so if there is any movement whatsoever it's creating some kind some type of charge given that it's salt and that i think is how people that have been been dead if you will and and, you know where their heart stopped beating the brain activity may have even stopped but if there's still even movement i think that the soul can come back and i and i think that's very interesting yeah
1: wow what you said about um being the witness and water acting as the witness or water being the mirror and that makes me think of mirror divination and like i think of in my Irish lineage, a lot of the, um, practices that the women would do was scrying on black bodies of water and the messages that they would receive about life, about other people, you know, how it would come back to them through the mirror, mirrored back to them through the water. And, you know, we can scry anything like it doesn't have to be just a black lake or body of water. It can be a it can be uh, you know what we see I mean there's just there's water all around us to do it and is there anything that you would like to share on that as the water mirror and water divination
0: well the work that I've been I've done a lot of different things that have kind of inspired me to do but I was there's a lady called Elizabeth B Jenkins who wrote a book called Return to the Inca She's a friend of mine, and she was telling me about how the Inca would often use water mirrors to look at the stars. And the way the stars shone in the water would be something that they would be able to interpret. They also used egg divination, which is kind of interesting, where they would uh, get an egg, and, and I think they were all fertilized fertilized eggs I think they were asked to use and the egg would be like rubbed in certain areas all over the body like it was it was kind of like very much made to connect with you as the person and then the shaman would crack the egg and each person's egg would crack and look completely different in the glass and they were able to give a divination very accurate one based on how the egg cracked in this glass of water. And, um, and, I, and so there was a glass of water and they cracked the egg into that and the way in which it kind of moved and formed was the way in which they were able to gain information. But I've left water out on full moons and I've left water out during the, the midday sun and I've seen kind of symbols for the moon and symbols for the sun from leaving it out in the open nature and it's kind of interesting because I've done similar thing where I've used a picture of a constellation of a star constellation. I chose Cancer and Capricorn because I'm a Cancerian and my mum was a Capricorn. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and I've I've done Aries now as well, and I'm starting to do the whole zodiac. And it's so interesting because I'm using just pictures of a star constellation, mm-hmm. but Water is designing the for example, it de- designed the crab for Cancer cancer, and it designed the goat for Capricorn and it's designed a ram for Aries, which is extremely interesting based on the fact that I've only shown its star constellations. Hmm. So um, granted, I know that, but I think that if I had expected anything, it would have been that it might have shown me the star constellation back. I wasn't expecting to see it design pictures of the animals or the, or the, you know, the symbols relating to the zodiac. So that, that was quite surprising to me. And so within those realms, and I also, I have to say, I, I very rarely ask water questions about the future or about Mm -hmm. myself. It's not something I have ever been called to do for this work. Mm -hmm. I feel like, I'm very, very interested personally in learning what water wants to share with me and what it thinks is important. Mm. And and that's mo- much more where I come from with this work. I've never got a yes or no symbol, you yeah. know, for a high So I, right. I, I, don't, I don't do that. Although I have worked with a number of people that do um, uh, dowsing and, mm. and they can use dowsing. Um, for those for answering questions which which I've seen to be really quite amazing I, I'm, I'm very good friends with the the whole pe- everybody in the Devon Dowsing community, community <laughs> went Devin, and I just love them dearly and they're you know I, I get sad when I see that these very very old practices uh, can just get given such a, a bad brat because like oh that's just bollocks and that's woo-woo and that's witchy witchy and all I'm like, like oh my god how do you think people found water like when there was of not- <laughs> it's still being used now they're so accurate the people that know how to douse for water are extremely accurate like a, 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 to such an amazing degree so I am very much in support of of them um, and, and of, of those modalities so You know, this is all, I always say the ancient, the the future is ancient.
1: Mm, mm -hmm. Are you familiar with um, the Bankston theory, which is the energy of intention and Bankston water, and it's about like using it in healing, and have you ever used like water for healing purposes like that?
0: I I would like to say, I guess, is that there is no water, no pill, no medicine, no anything that heals you, Mm. nothing nothing only you heal you and and I think it's important to remember that because one of the greatest lessons I keep learning over and over again is that there are a million different types of water that we've labeled that are healing mm-hmm. we can say there's Lord's water and there's this water and this machine will make it this type of water and we've labeled it all but by in the labeling we we kind of like disintegrate the whole yeah and, and, and I found that yes I have personally had an amazing experience with a spring water that helped heal me mm-hmm. but and when people hear my story they go oh my god I need that water it's going to heal me and I don't have access to it anymore because the man sold the water source but but I've come to just, just to realize there are lots of there are several medicine waters around the world that really act uh, as, as a kind of in a medicinal way but All water, and I think because we don't see ourselves as bodies of water, and when I work in schools where I do a mix of art and science and teach in schools, I say to the children, if your skin was invisible and your organs were see-through, what would you look like? And always it comes back to tributaries, waterfalls, rain and water, right? Mm -hmm. And one boy said he looked like a brain-shaped cloud with electrical rain shining through in the shape of a person i like, damn! Where did you come from? And <laughs> so, when we, if we were to just see ourselves as water sees us, you know, I, I, I think that would be a very, very important, powerful thing for us all. Mm. And I think we would stop seeing things as so different. All of a sudden, we'd re- realize we have so much in common. Mm-hmm. And healing water. I mean, you know, I, I, it's interesting. If you'd asked me 10 years ago, I would have said, okay, go and collect your own spring water, because I personally love to drink freshly collected spring water, because you have a, it's like a pilgrimage going to collect it, and Mm -hmm. you see it, you don't just kind of go grab it from a bottle um, from the supermarket. And then I would say, well, if you're going to to, to collect you need to keep it in a dark bottle, because... Water is very sensitive to artificial light, so if you're going to buy it from a supermarket, you know, see if you can find one that's in glass and one that is in a dark glass. And if you can't do that, then if you're handy, if you're a handy person, then, um then you know, we've seen. I, I spent a lot of time in India. I've, tra- I've traveled a lot, but India is like a second home in many ways to me. And I was in the villages, and I, I saw these two ladies on either side of a um, of a water pump and one lady there were three ladies one lady was moving the water pump up and down and two ladies were holding a silk sari out so that it filtered the water filtered through the sari into a big bucket mm. and i asked the interpreter what they were doing and he said well he asked them and they said well it silk helps filter water in a very profound way but silk also helps to make that water unable to filter out the heaviness within people. And wow. it's very interesting because Rudolf Steiner recommends um, filtering water through silk. But when I spoke about this to Jerry Pollack, he said that water just beside silk help starts to build exclusion zone. And so so even if you were handy and you made a silk pouch for your water bottle, mm. that would help keep the light out and it would also help to, you know, enable that fourth phase water to, to to potentially build. So I like glass. Glass is essentially silica. Silica is a crystal. Crystal store information. It helps water to store its original blueprinted information from a spring, for longer. If you're using a blue glass bottle, there is a friend of mine called Candace who um, has a company called Blue Bottle Love in Hawaii, and they have lots of beautiful symbols and stuff on these beautiful cobalt blue. Glass bottles, but you can make blue solar water with them, which is something I recommend to people to drink if they've got, had a lot of trauma, because it's said to. So, blue solar water first is water that's in this blue glass bottle. You put it in the sunshine for about one to two hours, and that process of the light filtering through the color of the glass and and through glass into that water is meant to help. Take away trauma of the body, and it, when you drink it, so it's meant to be very easing and soothing and healing. Mm. So I've seen some people have very profound experiences from doing that. You know, there, there's a gazillion kind of things, and if you, we've even seen very amazing restructuring crystallography when we filter tap water through silk but we get very similar results when we filter tap water through my my daughter's very handy and I and I like handy people because I I can paint but I'm not so good at sewing and making things but she likes to knit she's Mm -hmm. like honestly she's 12 going on 108 and (laughs) she 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 knitted me a little wool filter and she uh, and so I filtered the water through it and we saw very interestingly uh, you know um, improvements but you can also use linen. And so mm-hmm. these are three kind of um, interesting and apparently biblical materials that get charged by the sun. And mm-hmm. so if you're vegan and you don't want to use silk, you can look at using linen and, um, or, or, or wool, although I will leave bits in the water sometimes, so I'd say so linen would probably be your better bet. But it is interesting. So, you know, you learn all these things. You see all these things. And all of these things are so interesting, right? And we're so interesting, and we're always looking for these external things to heal us. But I actually think there is a responsibility. If you are healthy and well, at least for me, I feel a sense of responsibility to 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 for us to realize that our and our saliva, which is the first fluid that water touches when we drink it, it holds the word, it holds the vibration and the energy which can be formative in our mouth. So I've done a lot of studies with different fluids, not just water. And when I've spat into a Petri dish and frozen it, you'll see that saliva bubbles forms bubbles. But on top of the saliva bubbles, I've seen imagery etched into it relative to my last word. And Mm. this then this concept of the power of prayer or blessing before we eat or drink. Mm. if you imagine that you are the welcoming committee to anything you're putting in your body we're either ignoring it completely which is the very common or or we might have resistance to something or we might be welcoming it and so i always recommend to people the way in which water is going to heal you is relative to the way in which you welcome it into you so if you are very mindful, and that last word you spoke is of gratitude or something very loving. And you drink that water, no matter how beautiful that water might be before it hits that saliva, it's going to improve or be even more beautiful relative to the way you welcome it into you. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important. And I think that also brings it back to that feeling of empowerment. Mm-hmm. We are bodies of water sensitive to thoughts, environment, sounds, and things, but even more than that, even more than that, because that can be scary for the people to think, Oh, but I, you know, I don't think good things every single moment of my life. Mm-hmm. You know, what happens when I get nervous or scared? I would say intention is more powerful. Intention overrides all of these thoughts. Thoughts are like clouds, but you're really the sky, and your sky is really. Every day, your sky is your intention. So when you wake up in the morning to set an intention, it creates a blanket wraps around you. And on the days where I have had particularly sad days and I've been doing crystallography, the water isn't destructured because of my sadness. Mm. It sometimes reflects me and shows me a sad face. It shows me that it's seen me. Mm.
1: But it doesn't
0: doesn't deform or go terrible because of that the only way it starts to not play with me is if I'm particularly annoyed about something, which really only happens rarely. And I really wouldn't bother doing crystallography if I'm in that kind of frame of mind. Mm -hmm. So, you know, all of these things, I think, just bring us back to what is water. Mm -hmm. And I think water is the connecting force of life, the bloodline of life, of which we are all part of, and that doesn't die and is always in one of its stages, and is the non-judging observer. And and I think we're very fortunate to be able to see these things and feel these things as deep truths, because the biggest truths are very simple. They're really. often staring, staring us in the face.
1: Yeah. And it's so wild how something as simple as water, something that we interact with every day in multiple ways, holds these profound universal truths if we're just willing to enter into just a little bit deeper of an intention and relationship and awareness of it. And I love just what you said about asking water to show you, like wanting like being in relationship with the intelligence of water itself and respecting and honoring that intelligence rather than making it this two-sided relationship versus what can water do for me what can wa- what what can i get out of water and i feel like that really changes if we can just like integrate that concept alone or that teaching alone into our own gnosis in our own way and we can approach water with that in energy or intention like that in itself can change so much at all of those different touch points in our day when we're interacting with water oh
0: yeah i I think you're right and i and i think it's it's a message of hope you know, I, I think that that's the thing. With with so much with so much fear porn running around all over the show, you know, it's it's nice to come back to basics and to see that that actually, you know, it's really not that hard. There's something we can do right now for ourselves. And I think my study on egg albumin has been really one of the most inspiring for so many people. And I'll quickly tell you because I do need to hop on another call in a minute. But but people can go to my. I'll share it with you so maybe you can share it but I I have identified that there are six different patterns that form in free-range happy healthy chicken eggs in the egg albumin so albumin is not just egg white but it's the it's the thin saliva like part that is separate to the gloopy gelatinous part of the egg white when you freeze that for about 10 minutes you will see that some beautifully complex patterns arise. and I've, I've named them, and so there's six of them, whereas um, caged hen eggs only can form two of those patterns, the two most rudimentary. So I thought, what happens after being inspired by Luke monteneur's work about DNA teleportation, and, and really that's just a Google away. So I, I, I basically I put my free-range hen egg, which I knew it's crystallographic, patterns because I've done so many of them and I sat it next to a caged hen egg of which again I I know the patterns of and I left them side by side overnight. In the morning I did the crystallography and I noticed that something very unusual that the free-range egg was normal just as I had always would always expect to to see it and this isn't this is different than the work with water that I do this is you can guarantee that these patterns you'll see these patterns this is a natural form of, of of that happens in egg white but what what I didn't expect to see was the Improvement of the cage uh, ten egg patterns to the degree that they very much looked like free range eggs, and so I shared that on social media, and and it was well received. But loads of people said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah," but what if you surround it by bad eggs? The good eggs got to, going to go bad for sure. Often it shows a lot about the human psyche and how cynical we get as we get older. But I did that, and I repeated that. So I put a free-range egg in the middle, surrounded it by caged hen eggs, left them overnight, did controls for each one so I knew, you know, the original patterns, what they, what to expect. And I saw the same thing, is that there was healing by proximity. The caged hen eggs, closest to the free-range hen egg, all significantly approved to such a degree they looked like free-range hen eggs, but the ones further away improved but not quite so much. And so when you put that into what we tend to do as humans into some kind of well, how can we relate it to us, <laughs> essentially if you heal yourself, you're healing others. Mm. And, I, and I think that that is sound and important. Um, and there's a lot more I could talk. I could talk on that topic for at least three hours straight but we've been talking for a while now and so
1: (laughs) we've covered so much. Thank you for taking us into these water mysteries. Oh my gosh, there's just so much that you've uncovered here. So thank you so much for sharing your, your knowledge and your experiences with us. Yeah. And it makes me think too, of just that last thing that you said with the eggs is that the highest higher frequency is always going to override the lower ones so yeah. yeah just a mirror of that too but where can people get in touch with you and connect with you
0: sure um my website's my name veda austin.com um, Instagram's is veda austin underscore water and it's veda austin at water researcher on facebook and I share my pictures daily and I share lots of other people's work as well now because so many people are doing the crystallography. If you want to learn how to do it, just it's on my website. And I also do beginners workshops where I have small groups of people where I really help help you to get the crystallography right. And I actually look at your crystallography and tell you what I see and we talk about the, the hydroglyphs. So I have a list of my hydroglyphs that people can get on my website as well. And each four times a year, I do a masterclass. And the masterclasses are really popular and they're a big deal. So the next one I'm doing, at this point anyway, unless unless things change, it's going to be in May. And it's based around what different religions and ancient scriptures can teach us about water. And uh, I have... I'm very interested to to learn about that. Also, that includes the science or the religion of science. Mm. So um, I have someone called Isabel Friend talking in that area as well. I have a 75-year-old Catholic nun who used to be a shaman or studied shamanism, and so she's talking from a perspective which is amazing. She's so inspiring, you know, and I'm, I'm kind of getting a very inspiring collection of people to share these interesting kind of um overlaps in these and when you when you bring water into it you can even talk about religion without getting angry with each other <laughs> so it's it's a really lovely kind of connecting point there's a huge amount of purpose behind everything i do the last one that people can still get from me but i it's too big a file to have on my website so they have to get in touch personally is the one i did which I talk about mermaids. I talk about my experience. I have Tim Moon, who was the um, project manager archaeologist for the Bosnian pyramid. We talk pyramids, the Atlantis, Lemuria, the Bermuda Triangle, DNA alteration, like all all kinds of stuff. We have Kalani Sue, this amazing friend of mine, who's a indigenous elder, and talk about like the these Pacific legends um, around water and yeah there's there's a lot there it's it's 11 and a half and a half hours long so yeah
1: beautiful thank you so much and thank you so much for being on today it was so wonderful Thanks. thank you so much for listening to this episode of Ruby Ray I'm your host Jacqueline Norton and I'll see you next time